John chapter 3. This is the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. And I think before I read it, I just want to remind you guys, and I want you to receive this. You have no clue how loved you are. Like, you have no clue how loved you are right now. And whatever mess you're dealing with in your life, whatever confusion, whatever past issues brought you to this day, and whatever's coming in your future, God wants you to know in this present moment, he is head over heels, absolutely delighted in who you are. And he wants you so badly to be close to him. So he sent his son to die for you. John chapter 1 or John chapter 3, verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab your seats. Matt, would you come on up? I just want to pray for you, friend. My wife and I have been in ministry for 20 years, and we're, we're committed to the church being the church, and so I won't be the only voice that teaches. We, we, we're developing a, a large teaching team, actually, and so week by week, there'll be different teachers. I'll carry the primary teaching load through this first year, but Matt is one of our primary teachers, him and Bree, and Weston will be taking some slots, and some other folks are in the queue for later. And so let me just pray for my friend. Father, I just ask this morning as we sit under this amazing passage that right now 
hearts would be wide open to your infinite love. And I pray that my dear brother, as he shepherds our church through the teaching of the scriptures, would experience your smile upon him. That right now, as a child, as a son, a beloved, cherished son, Matt would experience the great joy of being with his family and just being a, a set of lips for the family, just a, a mouthpiece for the family this morning, communicating with us what God has done in his heart through the week. And so we exalt you. We ask that you would transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we each be born again in some measure, anew and afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. There you go, friend. Amen. Amen. Jeez. I feel like we could just read that scripture, and then that would be it for, for church today. That is deeply profound. It's crazy. I've been studying this text for quite some time now, and every time I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just so much in there. So all that to say is that um, on Sundays, we've obviously been gathering, and we've been going through the book of John, and um, in our communities, um, you know, we're going to grow because we're all here hearing this. And we have committed as a church to go through the book of John. But I do want to say, or else I might explode, that there is so much richness in every single chapter and every single verse that we can't get to in the span of, well, Dan's giving me two hours and 45, no, I'm just playing. No, in the, in the span of 45 minutes, it's just, it's difficult to, get, to go through. So I do encourage all of us here collectively to take our time and, and study the text, go through it. One thing I was thinking about this morning um, is that while my wife and I were attending Park Hill and they were going through the book of Matthew, one thing that was really, really impactful for us is that we would actually, because um, it is sequential, that we would read the text as a family, as husband and wife, or as your community, however it may translate, um, and we would read it before that Sunday, and so then we, when we would hear that message, it would be like, just enlightened and that's like we're participators in this you know we're not merely just observers coming to hear a message we're participating in this so just wanted to encourage you uh with that so again we're, we're this the name of the series is called come and see and it's based on the, the the obviously the book of john um so um yeah if you if you've missed any of the um teachings of the previous teachings we do have a podcast called neighbors church is it neighbors neighbors church Neighbors Church podcast, and all the teachings are on there, so you can you can catch up, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by it. Um, all right, so let's begin. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just jump into today's teaching. Sound good? All right. Father, we just um, invite you into this space, or God, we invite you into um, our understanding of this text, God. We, God, we just pray that. Um, you will speak to us wherever we're at. Maybe we're far away. We feel far away from you, Lord God. Maybe we feel extremely close, God. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're experiencing pain. Maybe we're experiencing exuberant joy. Father, wherever we're at, God, I pray that you will meet us through this text, through this teaching today. And Father, we just submit this time to you as we worship you um, through the reading of your word. In your name, amen. All right, so... Um, over the last couple weeks, uh, we've gone through the, last, uh, the past two chapters of John. Uh, Jesus was interacting with real people. This is a real book. This really happened. They're real people. 
Bree taught us a couple weeks ago that Jesus, about Jesus' interaction at this wedding in which he turned water into wine, and that was indeed the first recorded miracle. I see some people nodding their heads. Mm-hmm, I see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and that was the first recorded miracle in the book of John. Uh, and then last week, Dan uh, brought us through a text in which Jesus actually overturned tables in anger because the temple was being defiled. So we see these two sides of Jesus um, through the last couple weeks. And today, um, this week, we observe Jesus in a deep, deep conversation with a very real person. Uh, Jesus' uh, conversation with Nicodemus actually teaches us in action what it truly, truly means to come and see. So let's start um, by getting to know a little bit more about this Jewish leader who came to Jesus at night. So Nicodemus, he belonged to this Jew, uh, Jewish ruling elite whom John calls the Jewish ruling council. He was a teacher of the law, and in verse 10, in verse 10 it notes that he is Israel's teacher. So this, uh, this could lead us to think that he's actually Israel's like leading sage. He is teaching, think about this, he is teaching the nation of Israel in the ways of God. Most scholars tend to link him to the Gurion family, um, a family associated with great wealth and practice f- philanthropy. I could, I'm glad I got that word. Uh, so he was, he was really a lead influencer of his time. He, he had it all. Um, have you guys ever met that person who has it all? Like, they're athletic, but they can also play, like, every instrument. You know, like, they read 50 books a month. And you're like, what the heck? They, like, uh, they give 50% of their money away to charity. They go to sleep at, like, 12 at night. And they wake up at 3 without, like, an alarm clock. And you're just like, who are you? Like, I know you guys have probably met that person. But essentially, that's Nicodemus. He, he had it all. He reached the pinnacle of influence at his time. Um, but despite having it all, this is really interesting, is that he had to be intrigued about this man, Jesus. About the signs and the peculiar message that he was, uh, that he was bringing about. So with all this knowledge that he had, all this influence... He was observing a man who seemingly had something more, something different to offer. So let's pick this up in verse 2. He, Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, sorry, I'm going to move up a little bit. I just want to be close to you. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So it's interesting to note here, keep that up, that um, Nicodemus does not approach Jesus with a question. He actually approaches him with a statement. Uh, nonetheless, it was a statement loaded with great respect for this distinguished leader, a teacher. Uh, a teacher like Nicodemus, like himself, who was from God. But the qualifier in this, in this text that um, Nicodemus attributes to Jesus is that he was a man uh, who could perform signs. So, while Nicodemus would maintain that he himself is a teacher who came from God, he would have most likely attributed, this is really important, his connectivity to God by means of sustained obedience into his old age. So for him, for a 30-year-old Jewish carpenter like Jesus was, who had not taught a nation or had been faithful to God as long for the longevity that he had, it had to be those signs that was making him a great sage in his own right. So even in his approach, Nicodemus is saying, I, I, I realize, I recognize that you are doing these great signs and you have to be from God, but I just want you to know, like, 
that's different than what I'm doing. Like, I've been doing this a long time, Jesus. So it must be these signs. But this is profound. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. For Nicodemus, Jesus' response seemed practically impossible. He was curious what he might learn from this fellow rabbi, but instead found his answers extremely unsatisfying and I think downright just confusing. Now let's remember back in chapter 2, if you guys were here, um, when Jesus makes another seemingly crazy claim to the Jews. While on the heels of cleansing the temple, by way of driving out corrupt money exchangers, the Jews ask Jesus, they say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple. They were standing in a physical temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, uh, it has taken 46 years <laughs> to build this temple, and you'll raise it in three days? So similarly to this exchange with Nicodemus, Jesus was not talking about a physical temple and rebuilding the physical temple. In the same way, he was not suggesting for old Nicodemus to go inside of a mother's womb and be born again. And we can also infer by Nicodemus, his first statement, that he was attempting to set up criteria for himself as to who Jesus actually was. Like, who is this guy? The implied questions could be, who are you? I know that you're a teacher, but are you more? Is your status as a teacher the same as mine? Do you hold more authority than me because signs are associated with you? But the interesting thing is Jesus does not engage with that conversation. Not because he was uh, dismissive of Nicodemus' statement, but because he desires Nicodemus to truly see the kingdom of God. The verb uh, that we see in exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, to be born, um, is, it's, it's, uh, the Greek word is genon, and it refers to a father to beget and a mother to give birth to. And then the common ingredient is the word anothen, which means again. So it, and it could also be used to mean from above. Jesus is stating that in order for anyone, any person, any of us here, to enter the kingdom of God, they must get, be given new life similar to a baby being born. In, this, in, in the world of theology, we call this word regeneration. Regeneration is a beginning point of an entirely new life. To be born again is to be given a whole new way of living. Being born from above means our entire identity becomes new as we are children of God. Jesus was telling the spiritual and theological teacher of Israel, of an entire nation, that to enter the kingdom of God, everything, every aspect of his life, must change through this born-again experience. Two things at this point are absolutely shaking Nicodemus' idea of God. For number one, for Nicodemus to see the kingdom of God was to participate in the kingdom at the end of the age. To experience eternal resurrection life. So I believe many of us in here, believers, and even non-believers, people who don't claim to follow Christ, think of the kingdom of God in this way. That the idea of the kingdom of God is the afterlife. It's heaven 
That's why we become a that's why we we believe in Christ because we want to be saved from going to hell. And that is true. But there's a completely different part that Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus of, of this relationship. If you were a Christian anywhere from 1995 to 2005, you would be extremely f- familiar with this image. Anybody? Anybody? What is it? What image is it? Not of this world, right? <laughs> so not of this world shirts, stickers, I mean, apparel were all the rage. I've even seen... I'm not even kidding. This is a true story. I've seen tattoos. Yeah. In full confession, who here has a not of this world tattoo? Dan Braga. (laughs) He's got it right across his back right there. No, I'm just kidding. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Oh. Now, there is definitely truth, obviously, to this branding. um, But it is indeed a partial truth uh, that may actually not allow us to experience the fullness of of God's kingdom here on earth. So when the gospel of John uh, speaks of eternal life, John means that when we believe we are completely transformed so that we can experience life with God here on earth, into eternity, here, right now, on earth. The second thing rocking Nicodemus was that Jesus was speaking spiritually, and Nicodemus only had ears to hear the earthly, literal perspective. We read this. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. This type of confusion actually happens all over uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus is using earthly symbols like the temple, birth, to talk about the kingdom realities and his listeners just don't get it. Nicodemus' entire worldview was actually being completely turned upside down. And I love this quote from D.A. Carson. He puts it this way about Nicodemus. He understood that Jesus was demanding some sort of transformation of an individual's entire character. But he could not see how an old man, decisively shaped by his heritage and firmly set in his ways could possibly turn his clock back and start as a new person. Let's all think about this for ourselves, our heritage, our culture, these things that we've been accustomed to in our own life, these habits, these ways of thinking. I remember growing up, and um, I had this immense fear of failure. When I was in high school, even into my early 20s, when I was in, uh, when I was in the Navy. Um, there, and there was countless things that I just that I can actually recall that I didn't do because of this failure, this fear of failure. Um, and it was all really built around this notion of acceptance, that if I were to fail at something, that I would not be accepted by people anymore. It was crippling. It was really, really um, damaging. Um, and I think this idea and many others like it are just believed to be normal. I think at a certain point I was just like, Matt, that's just the way that you're going to be in life. You're going you're gonna to be crippled by this fear. You're going to be crippled by uh, the idea that people are not going to accept you. That people are not going to love you if you do fail. Maybe we have this unhealthy desire to please others. Or we have a desire to che- achieve as a way into acceptance. We joke around all the time, but experience this deep void that no one even knows about. 
But many of us really truly believe that we just have to live with it. And when we meet Jesus in heaven, we will not experience those thoughts anymore. So we're, we're going through this life and we're being obedient. We're coming on Sunday. We're in our groups. We're in community. But we're still struggling with this thing. And we think, wow, this will be resolved once I'm in heaven. Once I'm no longer here. And that's simply not true at all. In the same way Jesus invited Nicodemus to completely transform his way of thinking, he is inviting us to do the same now. Trying to understand that a rebirth of your entire being is required to enter into the kingdom of God is frightening, and it actually feels impossible. I do not believe Jesus' goal was to merely shake Nicodemus' worldview. Uh, he was not aiming to challenge Nicodemus' core beliefs for shock value. And we actually see that a lot in our culture. We see this need to um, express our worldview or try to dismantle someone's worldview for shock value, for a headline. So we could look at that. We could read this and be like, that's what Jesus is aiming to do. But that is the furthest from the truth. Let's read. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. When Jesus references water and Spirit, this is is deep. Many scholars believe that he is referencing a story in Ezekiel that a well-versed teacher like Nicodemus, again, Israel's sage, Israel's teacher, would be extremely familiar with. So in Ezekiel 36, the Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel about a restoration of the entire nation of Israel that is going to come. But the passage lumps Israel's, excuse me, Israel together as a nation But there are strong, very strong implications of a regeneration that will take place in the individual's hearts. For I will take you out of the nations, this is from Ezekiel 36. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus is indeed dismantling Nicodemus's worldview while simultaneously connecting with Nicodemus right where he's at. Right where he's at. He's showing empathy and bringing Nicodemus along intentionally so he can understand the kingdom of God. As Jesus states in verse 7, You should not be surprised by me saying this. This is not like a belittling of this prominent teacher. That wasn't Jesus' intent. It's a reassurance to Nicodemus that he is well aware that this, that he actually is well aware of this regeneration that Jesus is speaking about. Because he's a loving and he's a kind teacher who cares for his people. He's a savior. And this analogy of the wind, which we don't really have too much time to get into, it's really profound and deep, and I encourage you to study it. Uh, it's, it's deeply profound and incredibly accurate. We cannot control the wind, right? We know it's there. 
We see its effects. We hear it rustling through trees and we feel the wind on our skin. So it is with the Spirit. We cannot control or understand Him, but we see its effects and they are undeniable. So now we're going to go to the final exchange of Nicodemus and Jesus. So Nicodemus asks, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Nicodemus asked this question, how can this be? There may be some of us in here asking this question as well. How can this be? So Nicodemus, he initiated this exchange with great assurance of who Jesus was when he initially approached him, an assurance of what he understood to be true about the kingdom of God. He was, he was sure. He just had to check in to see what this sage, similar to him, what he's all about. But after all, he was a man who taught others, this is, he taught others the conditions of entrance into the kingdom of God. Obedience to God's commands, devotion to God, submission to his will, but now he is facing a reality that he cannot reconcile with all of the knowledge that he has, being born again. So again, in Jesus' deep love, and empathy for Nicodemus to understand what entrance into the kingdom of God is, he draws his attention to a very well-known and historical narrative that Israel's teacher would not only understand, but most likely would have taught to his people. In verse 14, Jesus is alluding to this well-known account of the bronze snake in the desert found in Numbers 21. So we pick up the story as the Israelites were trekking on their way to the promised land, beginning to grow impatient. They actually questioned Moses. We'll go ahead and put that up there. So essentially, I'm just going to summarize it. The Israelites were making their way, and uh, it was this long journey, and they were growing impatient with God. They were growing impatient with Moses. So they actually um, are questioning everything. They're saying there's no bread, there's no water, this food is disgusting, and they are just complaining. So God sent venomous snakes to bite them, and many Israelites died. So in their response, they come back to Moses, and they say, Moses, we're dying. Our people are dying. Can you please pray for us? So Moses prays, and God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and lift it up so that when the people see it, they'll be healed. They'll have life. The snake represented death as the venomous snakes uh, were biting and killing them. But when God had Moses lift the bronze snake up, and as they looked upon the snake, the curse of death was reversed, and they were given life through God's grace. The ability to see the snake was the only way that one could even live. And this is extremely powerful imagery that Jesus is painting for Nicodemus. He was inviting Nicodemus to come and see to come and see that entrance into the kingdom of God did not, not come by knowledge or these signs. It was not merely a set of rules to be followed in order to avoid punishment. 
It was not striving for moral correctness in order to earn God's approval. For Nicodemus, entrance into the kingdom of God was submitting every aspect of, of his life to a loving Savior who was going to sacrifice everything for him. Everything. And this is the same for us. We're not too far off from Nicodemus. We really do pride ourselves in the ability to do good, to enhance other people's lives. I mean, some of us, we buy our clothes from ethical companies. We take our reusable bags to Trader Joe's and Sprouts. We buy hybrid cars, all to reduce our carbon footprint, right? That is something that is so prominent in our culture. We seek education so that we can contribute to society in an impactful way. We volunteer at homeless shelters, uh, convalescent homes. We, we, we uh, participate in after-school programs for kids. We, we volunteer a lot, which is a great thing. These are great things, and, con- and they actually contribute to society in a really great way. And it is the heart of God. But if we believe that our condition, our contribution to society... And moral rightness earns intimate relationship with God. We're actually just like Nicodemus. Like his ancestors who had to turn, who had to look to the snake lifted up in the wilderness for life. Nicodemus had to turn his eyes from religious, his religious efforts and look to Jesus lifted upon the cross in his place. We all do. Our only hope is to look to Jesus. His words are sometimes confusing. His ways don't line up with the way we think things should be. But when we look at him, he makes us brand new. When we look to him on the cross, we see cursed in our place. And forgiveness and grace becomes our source of life. And I just want us to sit in that for a second. For those of us here who claim to be followers of Christ, believers of Christ, and we haven't fully submitted, this is an invitation. For those of us who do not claim to be believers or followers of Christ, This is also an invitation to fully submit everything that you are into a loving Savior who took our place on the cross. Before we come to the table, there's two takeaways for us. Number one, Jesus meets us where we're at. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, attributed Jesus' connection to God incorrectly, and was utterly confused at what Jesus was saying. Still, Jesus shows empathy. Jesus understands our confusion and is patient with us. I actually had a friend um, that I worked with at my last job, and he was in jail for quite some time. To the point where he didn't know what a cell phone was when he came out of jail. Like, not like an iPhone, but like he didn't understand what a cell phone was. So uh, he had to get acclimated to this new way of living. He was in jail for 10 plus years, but he had to get acclimated. And people had to help him 
acclimate once he got out. If people didn't help him, I'm not sure he would be able to fully function in society if he was not met exactly where he was at. Although he was excited about his freedom, he was not entirely sure what it took to engage fully. This is what Jesus was doing for Nicodemus. He always, Jesus always chooses empathy. In fact, he deeply empathized with Nicodemus and revealed to him something he had not even thought about, but he deeply, desperately needed. Being born again to experience fullness in Christ. He He did with Nicodemus what he does for you and I. He meets us exactly where we are and walks with us until we are experiencing him as the loving, gracious Savior. This may be the most difficult part, is it is he's inviting us to actually trust him. To trust him in this. And number two, acceptance into the kingdom of God requires new birth. In order for us to experience the fullness that God has for us, we must shed the idea that we can continue to live in our own way. And some of us, in hearing that, may have experienced some type of anxiety or control. And that's okay. (laughs) I think we all kind of do. Because rebirth is tough, but Jesus is kind. We see this great sage experience a sense of anxiety in hearing Jesus describe entrance into the kingdom of heaven as a complete rebirth. And Jesus right now is inviting us to taste and see that he is good. And he tells us that it is not by our own merit, but by his selfless sacrifice that we receive access to the kingdom of God. This image that Jesus paints in verse 14, that he will be lifted up is the crux of our faith as followers of Christ. His death and resurrection, we look to that as a representation of new life, of the new life that Jesus is asking us to take on. It's not us. Jesus made, he, he, was a sacrifice, he was a sacrificed lamb on the cross and, and rose again so that we can be in this relationship with him. And this is the true beauty of, of Christianity, of being a follower of Christ. So as we make our way to communion, I invite you to contemplate this idea of new birth in Christ. For some of us, that may be a foreign idea. For some of us, that may be an idea that we've never fully submitted to. Like Nicodemus, approach Jesus with that question. How can this be? How can I fully submit something that I've been doing for so long? And then Jesus, he will lovingly guide you into the very real, excuse me, the very real understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. God, you're good. Father, you're loving, you're kind. So God, I pray right now that whatever questions we may have in our hearts, 
in our minds, Lord God. I pray that you will meet us there. Father, I pray that your spirit that is like the wind, it's uncontrollable, but we know when it's moving, God, I pray that your spirit will move in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray for people, for us who are experiencing depression and anxiety. God, for those of us who are tired with life, those of us who can't imagine what it would look like to turn from what we're currently in in order to experience new life in you. God, I pray that we will come and see that you are good. That you're a father that loves. You're a father that cares. God, that you meet us where we're at and that you graciously lovingly lead us. So Father, I pray that your spirit will move in this place, oh God. I pray that you will speak to us. We love you. We thank you for your word. Amen. The, the tables are open, um, so you guys can come up. Um, we dip, don't sip. So take the, take the bread, dip it in, uh, in, the, in the wine, or the juice. And then just go back to your seat. Jared's going to lead us in a couple songs uh, and worship. And then Bree's going to um, Bree's going to come up with a, a communion meditation. But I really, really want to urge you before we jump back into worship to contemplate that question. Ask God, how can this be? How do I give myself to you so that I can be made nude in your spirit?